Here comes the judge. You're listening to X-Ray. Thanks for doing that. I'm Jefferson Smith. I'm here live. It is nice to be back. And joining us in just a moment is someone who has lived a storied life. The first African-American appointed to the Supreme Court of Oregon in 2021. She will have the high school have a high school named after in North Clackamas, Judge Adrian Nelson, currently serving a six-year term in Oregon's highest court. And she is on the phone with us right now. Hello, Your Honor. Good morning. How you holding up? You know, I'm doing pretty well today. I got to I got to ask about the high school first of all. So when you get a high okay. how does it happen to get a high school named after you? Like cuz this isn't posthumous, right? This like you actually they can call you. You can be in the room when they discuss it or maybe not in the room cuz nobody's in the same room together all the time. But how how do you find out about this? Well, you know, this was actually a multi-year process. Uh, there were actually two votes for the school being named after me. In 2018, um, after a number of conversations, the, uh, the vote was not positive. It was voted down. They changed the process. They and so what, the voting process. it down meant they were going to keep the same name or they were named after someone else? No. So there were two schools that they had to name. One was an elementary school that ended up being approved and, and is actually in existence right now for uh, the first African-American female who got a law degree here, Beatrice Morrow Kennedy, who was part of many race discussions here in the state and actually was a, uh, a, a founder of what is now the Portland Observer, one of the two black papers in this state. Sure. The other is the Scanner. So, uh, and then there was a conversation about the new high school, and my name was three, no, two. It was my name and uh, uh, Oregon Supreme Court, uh, I'm not sorry, Oregon Supreme Court, that's me, Oregon Symphony conductor James DePriest. I remember James DePriest. He was, he was, it seemed like he was the head of the Oregon Symphony my whole childhood. Right, you know, and so it was voted down. There was a concern about the process. And they redid the process, the school board did, and it came up through that second process that James DePriest and my name (laughs) were the two names submitted again. And at that meeting in May of 2019, uh, which I did not attend, um, they they chose to name it after me. So I wasn't in the room, but I was kind of aware of the process. And... I really don't know who submitted my name because names were submitted from a variety of sources uh, in the community. And then there ended up being one which ended up being my name. So were you campaigning along the way? Are you like throwing little hints? Are you like making a few phone calls? At least having a couple of friends make some phone calls? No. You know what? It is so... uh, It's a very humbling experience and I can be totally honest with you that once I got the call that they were naming the school after me um, people think I'm an extrovert but I'm really an introvert and I got so um, not overwhelmed but like oh my gosh this is a big deal (laughs) this is a really big deal so for two weeks I wouldn't look at the building because I can actually see the school that's being renovated to become the high school from my office window in my home and so finally I went there 
And it was a full circle moment for me. So I'm very excited. They've done the groundbreaking a year ago. They have been continuing to make the process, uh, you know, working toward uh, getting the building ready for uh, September of 2021. And I have been to the school and talked to the students and, you know, because I am one of few people that have something named after them while they're alive. Because um, people have jokingly said that to me. Oh, I thought you'd have to be dead to have something named you. And I'm like, well, you're very much alive. I'm not planning to stay alive. And I plan to continue to live and do things. I, I plan to interact with the students as much as possible while doing not only my job on the Oregon Supreme Court, but also being active in the community. Well, thanks for spending this time with us. As a bit of background, you went to the University of Arkansas. You mm-hmm. weren't born in Oregon. You ended up here what, because your mother had relocated here. I think you were born in maybe Kansas. Yep. No, Kansas City, Missouri, I think. That's right. All of that's correct. And so how did you end up here? What was the decision like? And what was the transition like to move to Portland, Oregon? So... <clears throat> My mother and I always joke about this. I think she is totally serious about it. I'm not so sure about it. This is just a part of family history that I guess we'll never agree on, except the result. She said that I promised, because I grew up in a very close-knit family, I lived next door to her parents or my maternal grandparents, and across the street from my maternal grandparents was my grandfather's great mother so I had my great grandmother my grandparents in our home and she said that I said as a teenager that I would live near her whenever I had children and so when I had my daughter my mother said okay when you coming to Oregon (laughs) it's supposed to happen and we made an agreement that it was not something I wouldn't consider but that I would come to Oregon for two years and then I would have fulfilled this obligation I had to her and I could be free to move and live anywhere I wanted. But during the two years that I was here, um, I, I did notice that there seemed to be all kinds of divides, but I did notice the racial divide. And I asked people what was going on. How'd you notice and it? And why, how, how, I'm sorry? How did you notice it? How was it manifesting itself? Well, it was clear to me that certain people lived certain places, yeah. so the redlining, um, that there was a difference in uh, people's earning capacity. Uh, and it just seemed like there was, for me, a certain, uh, as I moved around, because I would get um, a paper and see what different activities were happening that weekend, and if something was interesting to me, I went, and I noticed that there was not always a mixed crowd. And it made me curious. So what'd you do? You so, find this curiosity, you realize, you, you look around, you say, hey, what's going on here? What do you do? So I started asking people who I had developed, begun to develop friendships with, and some have continued and deepened, and they were honest. And out of that, because I'm legally trained and also I'm a literature major uh, uh, from, from my undergraduate degree, um, I went to the Oregon Historical Society to get some information, and I picked up the book Peculiar Paradise that I may be out of print now that talked about the history of blacks. And it helped me understand where I was. Now, it didn't make me feel like I got to hurry up and get out of here because I do know the story of migration 
And now more, more people know the story of migration, particularly from Isabel Wilkinson's The Warmth of Other Suns. But I realized, okay, I've gotten confirmation. What I'm sensing, what I saw is real. What am I going to do if I'm going to raise my daughter here? And how am I going to navigate all of this? So that's what made me notice. I decided to stay because I met wonderful people from all walks of life that would be honest with me and say, yes, this is what's happening. We're wanting to make it more inclusive and better, and we're hoping that we could have you and others come and help us. How do you look back at that decision now, the decision to join your mom, to come here, to not end up in Kansas City, Missouri, not end up in Arkansas, but end up in Portland, Oregon? How do you look back on that decision? You know what? I feel like it was, and I, uh, Portland was not someone, a place that I even knew anything about, you know, so it wouldn't have been on my radar. I just feel like sometimes your life takes you places, if you're open to them, that you're meant to be. I feel like this is where I was supposed to live my life, that this is the place that I uh, raised my child, who is now a fully productive human being, adult, who, you know, is in her own career, living her own life, which is something that is, you know, a proud moment for me uh, and a continuous moment for me. And my career, uh, I'm not sure would have been the same if I lived in the other place. I, I feel like I'm in, I, I came to the right place because I answered not a call, but I answered the request to come. And I thank my mother for it. That's why I talk about it all the time. She may have had an other motiva- another motivation, but I do appreciate her getting me here. The book you mentioned, Peculiar Paradise, History of Blacks in Oregon, 1788 to mm-hmm. 1940, I think you're right, it's out of print. I went and looked to get a copy, and the only copy I could find for sale, I think there are some in libraries you can check out. The only book I could find, only copy I could find for sale, Amazon was selling for $284. It is a hard book I to know. get. I know. I know, but I got my copy about a year or so ago because it, it stayed on my mind. I, did, I, I, I don't know what I did with the original copy of mine, but I wanted another one, and you're absolutely right, Jefferson. Amazon was the place that I purchased mine. I didn't pay 200 and something dollars for it, though. <laughs> uh, it was more reasonable than that, but I have one that is a used copy that has been well-worn, but I have one. So, you know, if you want to borrow it sometime, I got to make sure you bring it back, but we can talk about it. I can, I can give you my car keys or something. I mean, you give something of equivalent value. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, you know, you, if you, it was a trade, you, you'd feel like you didn't get on the short end of that trade. Oh, well, okay. So I want to ask, we're in the middle of, some would argue long overdue, probably moral person would argue long overdue social uprising. You are now ensconced as uh, one of the higher-ranking officials in our state, but an official in a capacity that, you know, opining on uh, issues of political policy that are not before you as a matter of a case to be decided is, shall we say, frowned upon. How do you engage in a historic moment like this in a way that feels Mm. most useful? You know, I'm glad you you brought that point uh, up during our conversation uh, today. You know, it can be a challenge. You know, um, the, the, the judicial branch is one of the three branches of government, and you're right, we typically 
don't speak out. So for me, no one's going to see me out protesting, or I don't think many other judges doing that either, because we have a code of judicial conduct we have to follow. But it doesn't mean that we have to act like we don't realize that we're living in the world we're living in. You know, we've all been affected by COVID-19. We are all paying attention to what's going on. And Oregon, um, as a state Supreme Court, we did issue a statement about what is happening in our country right now on June 5th. And we are not the only one. We were not the first. We have not been the last. We were in the middle. They talked about how all of this affects us and how we need to, excuse me, have the public trust and confidence because we need people willing to support our current legal system and serve as jurors. Now, some people don't want to come in for jury duty right now because of COVID-19. And there was an article written about that, even though there are some jury trials happening across the state. Um, But I know I need to remain neutral so that when anyone, when I was a trial judge, came before me, felt like they were going to be treated fairly and it was going to be based on the law and the evidence. I understood that concept when I self-identified and applied for my trial court appointment many, many years ago to when I applied to be considered to be a justice on the Oregon Supreme Court. I knew that, and I had to reconcile whether I could do it or not. I'm okay with it. I, uh, I made that decision long ago, 20, 20, 2005, so we're deep into it. <laughs> so it, it, But it is heartening in, to see people across the state, across the region, across the country, talking about these long seated issues that have been coming up and seeing everything that's happened. I think we're in a moment. I mean, I think we're in a true moment. I'm very interested in seeing what happens in terms of action and things that happen in terms of changing what's happened in the past. It was a long time before this state had our first black justice. It is not that yes. long since you've been, I mean, it's not, it hasn't been that long since you've been appointed and then elected. What are you seeing right now in the culture of the legal profession in Oregon? What are you seeing now in the culture of the judicial uh, branch in Oregon? Any changes you're seeing over the last 10 years or heck, 10 weeks? Well, I think that um, the governor's appointments. So I was first appointed in 2006 by uh, former Governor uh, Ted Kulingowski. And he, during his term, two terms, appointed a large number of diverse attorneys to the bench. And so that the bench is more reflective of the communities we serve. And uh, uh, Governor Brown has taken up that mantle and has appointed a large variety of people. And as a matter of fact, there was an Oregonian article, I want to say, in 2017 about uh, all of the various uh, people she had appointed that not only were racially and ethnically uh, diverse, not only based on gender, 
uh, diversity, but also based on sexual orientation and, quite frankly, economic background, people who had parents who had had challenges from, you know, uh, uh, drug addiction and, uh, and other issues, as well as people who had come through the foster care system and become judges. So I think that there is a recognition more so than when I first came in that our communities need to be reflective of our, uh, in our judiciary because that instills public trust and confidence. When I did the listening sessions in 2016 as a result of unrest in this country at the time, um, we heard loud and clear that people were not really willing to embrace us as they were. We heard loud and clear, gosh, this you all don't really look like everybody else. You don't ignore that. You say, yes, and hmm. what do you do? You know, and so I think that my colleagues are very much open to the idea. Yesterday, this is late breaking news, for years I have many projects that I do because <laughs> I really do feel like I'm supposed to make this world better than I was born when I was first born. And Lisa Hay, the current federal public defender, and I collected a group of people uh, to talk about what we could do to educate potential jurors about unconscious bias. And as a result of our efforts in late 2016 when we first were contemplating on up until 2016 when we formed the committee, we have an unconscious bias video for jurors that were hoping will be played both in state and federal courts along with your juror orientation video so that people, if they're unaware of what unconscious bias is, they can understand the concept and how it should not play a part in their serving on a jury if chosen and that it helps them understand what their role is as a juror. So, you know, I could give you others, but I think that's enough for right now. That is helpful. So you're saying now there's going to be, you're starting a new program to address unconscious bias in juries and judiciary. Is that what I heard you say? So we have an unconscious jury bias video that has already been completed. Yeah. We've shown it to uh, one of the Oregon State Bar sections. The litigation section had a litigation retreat in late February. Uh, and we unveiled it there. Yesterday, another judge and I did a webinar for the judges. We had already sent the link for on the state side to our presiding judges and trial court administrators. All of this would have been rolled out months ago, but COVID-19 occurred. And so we're starting it up again in June, at the end of this month, June 30th, we're going to send out the link to all of the attorneys who are licensed to practice in the state and they can start asking for it and inquiring is it being used uh, during jury orientation and if not they may want to have it for their particular case in their courtroom that will be decided by each individual judge but that's what we're doing to try and educate potential jurors within the Oregon Judicial Department we have a strategic plan we're doing 
and it should be it is a multi-year project but within that we are also uh, educating judges we've always had an education committee and leadership committee where we talk about all kinds of issues but we have training on unconscious bias for judges right now and resources and we're also expanding those and providing them to staff because everyone who comes into the courthouses don't see a judge <laughs> they may see staff and we want everybody to be trained and in another role in my life I am chair of our Oregon Supreme Court Council on Inclusion and Fairness and so we're working really hard to have internal resources as well as bring people out from uh, consultant roles and trainer roles to continue our education because we understand this is an ongoing uh, educational process for all. Judge Nelson, would you be down? I know you've got a busy calendar. Would you be down for us to do a part two? We're supposed to, we're supposed to wrap this. You, you only <laughs> booked us until 730, and we appreciate even going over the amount we have. But I've got other stuff I'd like to talk to you about. Is it possible, and I'd actually like to get a, a, a one of our partner stations in with us for that. Would that be possible? It is possible. Jefferson, I don't know if I've ever told you no. (laughs) 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 Judge Nelson, it is so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Appreciate your service. Congratulations on the high school. Are you just going to drive by it on occasion, just stand outside for a while and just greet people as they come in? Hi there. And they say, who are you? And you just point at the school. Is that part of your plan? No, it is not. <laughs> do you do you wear your robes at the grocery store? Do you just go and no, walk around town? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do not. I right. do not. Well, you the only thing that I do is wear it on the bench when I need to. When I was a trial court, I wore it, of course, when I was on the bench. And when students came to my courtroom, I would come down and talk with them, and I would unzip it. And it was a moment that they would really couldn't because they were like, what are you doing? I said, I have clothes on up under it. You know, like I'm a real person. <laughs> and then it just seemed to make a world of difference. And we had connections and conversations, and it was fabulous. I've got to at least say something about the unconscious bias, because you, and you said two things, and I think in those two things you said a mouthful. The representation of the judiciary means at least two things. One, it means that any young person, heck, any older person who is looking at how justice is going to be applied can have a little more faith that justice is going to be applied fairly in their circumstance if they see roughly accurate representation in the judiciary. The second thing I heard you say is that also we have to be really conscious as we apply power, as the state applies power, that it is applying it fairly and being aware of lived experience, being aware of unconscious bias. I caught that right. Any last word on that? That's great. But that's one of the things I want to follow up on in part two. No, I, I, I think you got it right, and I, and I recognize that it's a challenge, you know, and I have uh, spent a lot of time. I do training on it. I've trained our judges. I've done presentations on it, uh, uh, both for lawyers and firms and, and, like I said, within our judicial branch. But, yes, I'd love to talk more about it, as well as, you know, others who are doing the work and, 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 and update you on what we're trying to do within our branch uh, to, to, to address it. Judge Nelson, thank you so much. You're welcome.